lots and lots of spoilers. Shh, listen for a moment. Everyone swears there's just one host of this podcast, but if you block out everything else, just really, really reach for it, you'll realize that there are two. One precedes the other by by fractions of a second. Mike. Max. There, did you catch it? Let, Let me play it again. Mike. Max. Mike. Max. It's not a conspiracy theory. I can prove it. I am not insane. Lando shot first. Itchy is a woman. And where there's a Max, there's a Mike. And movies. We aim to entertain, even though our site is bent sideways. We're working our way through single year in this series. That sure was 1981. And boy, was it. So far, we've stolen treasure from the hands of Nazis and lots of solid brass goodies from history's finest. This week, we're all a chill while watching and discussing Brian De Palma's cult classic, Blowout. It's about a kid's birthday party and what happens when all the candles are snubbed. Uh, Wait a minute. Or something. (laughs) On the left, recording everything I say in case it might someday make sense, is that master of the microphone, Max Levine. Make noise, Max. Will you please speak more clearly into your glass of water? <laughs> because that's, that's better. Ah. And I am the I'll be back to pick you up later of the jet set, mandatory <laughs> Mike Luce. <laughs> that made sense. Mr. Mike Rafone. Yes, get it, Mr. Mike. And if you don't know what Mr. Microphone is, good. Consider yourself lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Blowout is our first for us, and it might be with you as well, but it must come second, as our poll questions always take center stage. Last week we asked, what movie cameo by a movie star or other famous figure caught you most by surprise, or was the most fun? Were there answers? Yeah, sure you betcha there were. Vince, oof, are- oof, oof, play that polka for me, big boy. <laughs> Have some lutefisk out of petty cash. Uh, Vince, our cuddly friend from up north who uses the website, gave us, quote, the appearance of Peter Falk as himself in the German film Wings of Desire. Wings of Desire. <laughs> he is a total surprise and delight. I love that film, but he really adds something to it only he could, end quote. I wonder if he just wanted to know just one more thing. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Vince. Deweese, my buddy, gave us, quote, Backstreet Boys in This is the End, end quote. Which that was a surprise. I didn't know. Thank you, Weasel. Next up is Jess Miller, who offered, quote, Matt Damon in Deadpool 2. I didn't believe for a long time that it was actually him, end quote. Turns out it was. And yeah, all I... for 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten. I thought she was make, mixing up Brad Pitt in Deadpool 2, but nope. He's one of the two rednecks. When Cable shows up, she was right. I was wrong. It was the wig. Well, thank you, Jess. Dr. Rebecca Pelkey posted. Oh, I'm sorry, what? They never explained the wig. They never explained the wig. (laughs) Dr. Rebecca Pelkey posted, quote, I'm going to be a total girl and say, the Green Bay Packers singing a (laughs) cappella in Pitch Perfect 2, end quote. Wow. Wow, that's a a whole lot of cameos. Yeah. (laughs) Packers! Uh... Packers, I don't know who they play, but uh, that's uh, baseball, right? Um, Probably. <laughs> it's look, it's high lie. Okay. <laughs> Dave had a lot to say. Quote, uh. cameos. I don't recognize actors' faces very well, so never notice the cameos unless I'm told about them. 
In that regard, Salman Rushdie's appearance on Curb Your Enthusiasm was awesome. It fit in well, and they told you who he was, though I would have recognized him anyway. The other one that comes to mind is Tom Cruise in Pineapple Express. I don't remember if he was the main character or just huh. a cameo, but it was only the only time I have seen him out of his usual role, and I liked it. I only recognized him because I was told it was him. My response was, don't be silly. That doesn't look anything like Tom Cruise. <laughs> also, of course, my own appearance in Godzilla 85. End quote. Wow. I got a, got a bargain in that answer. And now I know a real live Godzilla actor. Yep. Yep. He was crushed in the in scene 814. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Val, our friend in L.A., Tinseltown, the big white way, sent, quote, the first one that comes to mind is Keanu Reeves and Always Be My Maybe, end quote. Hilarious! Oh. <laughs> is that the one where <laughs> he plays is. himself? Yep. Cool. Yeah, and he is hilarious. He is having so much fun playing himself as a complete jerk. <laughs> well, thanks, someone not related to me. <laughs> uh, Tony Kellner posted, quote, David Bowie in Yellowbeard, uncredited, Ooh, yeah. I believe, and a dreadful movie, end quote. Uh yeah. Uh, that was a movie that should have been so good. It had the cast was unbelievable and the script was unbelievable. Yeah, not one of the better I mean, efforts from a Python alum. Uh, thanks, Tony. I think that was was that a Terry Jones film? I think it was. I can't remember, but it uh, it had like three of the Pythons in it. Yeah, and as well as like Peter Cook and all. It had like comedy royalty in it, and it was awful. All of the Monty, none of the Python. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Tony. Not at all my cousin Regan McStravick tossed out. If we're going for awful movies, Judd Hirsch as a New York City cabbie in Sharknado 2 is pretty inspired. All right, that's not fair. <laughs> there are so many cameos in that movie. That movie is mostly cameos. <laughs> Although Judd Hirsch's is probably the most painful. Wheaton? Eaton. Uh, <laughs> Love that. Also, Brad Pitt as the honey bear bong smoking roommate in True Romance, or for that matter, Val Kilmer as Elvis in True Romance. End quote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thanks, Regan. Those are those, that's a lot of stuff that some of which I didn't know. Um, we always appreciate your answer and the content you provide for our little show. So thank you all. Bumpy bucks and bumpy bills for everyone. Use them for whatever they'll fold into. This week, oh, before we get to this week's question, Max, since this was your yeah. question, uh, who's who's your favorite, you know, pop-up or cameo or, gosh, why is Ronald Reagan in this film? <laughs> I got to say, I was kind of surprised someone actually came up with mine, and the one that surprised me the most was David Bowie in Yellowbeard. Hmm. I remember see, he's in one scene, I think he has maybe two lines, they're incredibly short, he's on screen for like 30 seconds, and I just remember sitting there going... That cannot possibly be David Bowie. And then you see his eyes, and it's like, it's David friggin' Bowie. <laughs> so that, that, I, I think it was that, and actually thinking of Deadpool 2, Brad Pitt shows up in that at just, along, just enough to be electrocuted. And that seems fair. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I, so it's not really the right thing we're looking for, but I think my favorite appearance by somebody who's not an actor in something, and it's not even it's not even really a TV show, is the episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with President Obama while he was in office. The man had it's such not really a, good, a cameo. I mean, that, no, that was he was the guest. I know, but it, it's not really it doesn't really fit the question. But I couldn't think of anything I liked better. It showed that not only was he actually pretty pretty cool and he had a good sense of humor but they got to play around with stuff in the white house which was a lot of fun yeah. um, other than that boy you know i don't know um 
I mean, again, that's not a cameo. So I would I would say something like Martin Landau in uh, Ed Wood because it's like Martin Landau's an actor I've never particularly cared for. He's okay, I guess, but he did such an amazingly good job in that. Besides, he he was he was uh, a major role. That wasn't a yeah. cameo. So uh, I don't have a good answer for your question. Too oh, bad. All right. Well, that <laughs> well, that's it. You have to go sit in the punishment stool. In the punishment stool? That's disgusting. You heard me. Yeah. You heard me. Bumpy, don't you dare put that t- put that tail down. <laughs> Nasty punishment stool. Ew. Anyway, this week we have another movie-related poll ah. question. What movie do you like exactly as it is? You wouldn't change, not in cast, plot, dialogue, nothing. You literally think, no, there's no little niggling thread you would pull out there's no oh if only for that one tiny thing this would be perfect no what film are you like no don't touch this cast it in amber leave it alone let Uh, us know santa claus conquers the martians oh that was mine oh (laughs) well i of course that's the obvious answer well true but if you have a different obvious answer let us know when we might just might Add a new line of puddings to the Bumpy Hut catalog, the only catalog made entirely of NFTs. But for the <laughs> moment, it's time for trivia. The show. Blowout, in case you forgot the name of the film. Uh, <laughs> trivia for Blowout, because we do a lot yeah, of talking. This is a movie about hairdressing, right? And what happens if you use your hairdryer too much? That's Blowcomb. And oh. uh, yeah, Blowcomb 2. I thought that was Floby. <laughs> Ah, the Floby. Yes, this film actually literally has nothing to do with hair. But uh, trivia, budget, 18 million. A great deal of that is caused by hiring John Travolta, it seems. Take 13 million. Oopsie. Oh, wow. Yeah. We'll come back to that in the trivia, as a matter of fact. Uh, That big scene that takes place during the parade in Philly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a reshoot. Seems the original footage was in the back of an unlocked van that was parked at a Dunkin' Donuts. Somebody came by and stole the van. The original footage was inside and never recovered. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, John Travolta's laid-back performance was partially brought about by lack of sleep. He suffered insomnia while filming. I would have thought it was, you know, because he was John Travolta. He's usually actually a little bit more hyper than that. Uh, see, uh, w- uh, what's the Battlefield Earth? There we go. <laughs> oh, no, don't see <laughs> Battlefield Earth. Really don't. But, but speaking of Travolta, his career resurgence, arguably from his performance in Pulp Fiction, came about because this was Tarantino's favorite Barbarino role. I mean, uh, De Palma. Uh, <laughs> Oddly, it was this film's poor performance which started the downhill slide to Travolta's career. Nancy Allen, say what you will, but she was the director's wife at the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll that explains to, a few things. I say we'll get back to that. Supposedly, this is one of De Palma's favorite music scores for any of his films. We'll be really? talking about that too. <laughs> Mr. De Palma, you have a lot to answer for. Uh, <laughs> there was no real Liberty Day celebration, it was just a recreation of the bicentennial festivities of 1976, or in this case, the re recreation of the bicentennial. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so if you learn anything from our little show, it's don't leave your footage in an unlocked <laughs> van at Dunkin' Donuts. And don't park it at Dunkies. Yeah. If certain aspects of the plot feel a little familiar, it's because they were meant to. Both the JFK assassination and Watergate were inspirations. Chappaquiddick was also echoed. I yeah. can't imagine. You can't guess where that was echoed, could you? 
Uh, uh, the funny accent. Yes, that's it. The funny accent. In a case of self-congratulation, Manny is seen watching another De Palma film, Murder on a Mod, on TV before <laughs> Sally visits him. I wondered what that movie was. It looked like we were supposed to recognize it. Not since the actual Beastmaster drove past a theater playing Beastma in Beastmaster <laughs> 2, playing Beastmaster 1. Have we seen something yeah, like this? Yeah, yeah. Hey, does that bathroom look familiar? Burke murders a hooker Wait, in the ladies' room of the 30th Street Station in Philly. In 1985, we'd have another murder in the same bathroom for the movie Witness. <laughs> so, the other moral to this film is, don't go to the bathroom in the 30th Street Station in Philadelphia. Wow, I wish I'd known that. I was doing that in the 80s. <laughs> right. Witness! This was one of Siskel and Ebert's favorite films of 1981. Oh. Huh. Oh, neat. Do you have any uh, trivia you know about this film that you want to add in there, uh, Max? Uh, just that, uh, uh, sorry, Nancy, the one who plays Sally, Nancy mm -hmm. Allen. Yes. Uh, where I knew her from is uh, Officer Lewis in uh, RoboCop. She's RoboCop's partner in, in all three of the movies. You mean Officer, I don't believe you're a police person? Yeah. Officer, <laughs> no way you made it through the academy. Yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll get back to to Miss Allen. Uh, not at all, Mrs. De Palma, but totally Mrs. De Palma at least at this point. You say De Palma, and I say De Palma. De Palma. I don't, <laughs> I don't see get what it. People's problem is. <laughs> Let's get to the plot of Blowout. Knock yourself out. Jack Terry, played by John Travolta, is a sound effects man working mostly for third and fourth grade movies such as slasher fi flicks, such as slasher fix. I, let me start again. <laughs> Such as seals. <laughs> Jack Terry, played by John Travolta, is a sound effects man working mostly for third and fourth rate movies such as slasher flicks. He records sounds constantly to add to his library, which he uses to dub atmosphere and effects into films. One night, while collecting new noises at a nearby river, he happens to record a car having a blowout, then crashing over the back into said river. Thinking quickly, he leaps into the water to try and save whoever might be inside. The driver is already dead, but a young woman, Sally, played by Nancy Allen, not at all Mrs. De Palma, <clears throat> struggles to get free. Finally managing to break a window, he gets her out. The cop seems strangely belligerent to Jack, and a strange unnamed government stooge asks that he forget there was anyone in the car and really anything else about the crash. See, it, uh... It was a presidential hopeful, a state governor that was in the car, and she certainly wasn't his wife. Well, not permanent wife, if you, uh, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> hey oh. Jack shrugs it off and goes home. When he listens to the tape he was making, he realizes there are two sounds recorded, one directly preceding the actual blowout. Sure sounds like someone shot out the tire to him. Meanwhile, Sally has suddenly d developed a case of, gee, leaving town sounds like a good idea. Seems the same stooge has got to her as well. Jack tries to convince her to stay and help him prove that this was no accident. When he finds out that she generally works for a private detective, Manny Carp, played by Dennis Franz, and thankfully not his bare rear end, yeah. uh, uh, and they catch roaming husbands as a thing, he's certain the whole thing was a setup. But things are not going to be so easy. Rogue government creep Burke, played by John Lithgow, this is an amazing cast. Uh, yeah. We'll stop at nothing, not even his boss's orders to get rid of everyone involved. Can Jack prove his theory before Burke murders everyone who gets in the way of him murdering everyone? <laughs> or will the evidence finally see the light of day and expose the corruption of the system? We're not telling, though we were totally not paid off not to. <laughs> the end. 
down. Yeah, the cast. Well, um, I, I, I do have to say, with, with uh, Burke, the way when he's on the phone, all I could think of were the, were the cops from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the radio play. One of them says, there's nothing stopping us blowing up this entire planet, plus two or three others we noticed on the way in. <laughs> Like, yes, I'm just going to, okay, kill you, kill you, I'll kill you later. <laughs> yeah. I just like killing. What can I say? I'll kill any of you homos if you touch my stuff. So, yeah, Lighten yeah. up, Francis. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's start with the cast. Why not? John Travolta. I'm not a huge John Travolta fan. I think this may be my favorite performance of his. I, uh, oh, really? I still like him as Vince Vega in uh, in Pulp Fiction. Well, yeah, I don't and, like him. And the main thing with this is he doesn't dance. and. No. He's, Thank you. When he dances, that's when he's at his best. I never saw Saturday Night Fever. I never saw Staying Alive, which I heard is also a good idea. Um, yeah, well. But he often tends to be a little bit over the top, a little bit broad. He's fine in Welcome Back, Carter, because it's meant to be a broad comedy. Well, but he's, yes, actually, but he's very quiet and understated in Face Off. Um, no. <laughs> no, he's not. No, not at all. But he is here. And I actually like his performance. He's and apparently it's because he was sleepy. Okay, uh, who would have known that the the Slanislavski uh, method involves not getting any sleep? But apparently yeah. it does. Um, I, I find him believable. Sure, he could be a sound guy. I totally believe he's working for a uh, low budget film as he's in one. Um, but I I thought he was good. Um, it was not a Travolta I'm used to seeing. What? Who? <laughs> Nancy Allen, let's get right to that. She's um, in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Look, she does okay in a rather thankless part. I mean, but okay. Yet you get the she she comes off a lot more. I don't know, like a '30s gangster mall. You know, she she's her performance would have been fine about twenty or thirty years earlier. She's not entirely unlike Lena Lamont in Singing in the Rain. Oh, there's a little Although, of that. The quite voice, honestly, yeah. Lena Lamont is a little bit more interesting. Uh, I think my note was she was more convincing as an actress when she was sedated. Because <laughs> once she's no longer under the influence of, because she's the woman who was in the car that went into the water, once she's no longer have been, having been sedated at the hospital, um, I honestly thought she was kind of terrible. Um, yeah, I didn't think she was terrible, but she certainly, there's no subtlety to her performance, and the shifts in the character don't make any sense. Yeah. Um, Dennis Franz, not my favorite Dennis Franz uh, performance either. He's a little too pushy, a little bit too much. He, he kind of calms down later on. But actually, there's footage of him actually practicing what he's going to say to Sally when she shows up at his apartment, and it felt like it was we just saw the rehearsal for the movie. <laughs> um, I don't. I kind of like the idea that he's both sleazy and not confident. But the thing is, he is just hello. I'm completely sleazy, and I'm just going to get sleazier, and I'm going to do everything you think I'm going to do. And uh, I, I was perfectly happy when Sally hit him on the head with a bottle. Yeah, and then he falls back into this really weird crucifixion yeah, kind of, thing. Yeah, a little bit of a cruciform pose. I don't know what the heck that was about. And again, a classic. There are certain things De Palma is really known for in terms of camera angles. He loves top-down shots. Yeah. And there were, there were top-down shots aplenty, and he loves that split-screen stuff. Yeah, which is probably apparently technically... To kill yeah. It's probably the most famous version of that, but... 
Apparently, technically, it's it's pretty hard to pull off. You actually have a split lens, and you somehow manage to keep both something very, very close in the foreground and something far away in focus. Um, sadly, you probably wouldn't even need to do that these days. But um, And then the other only other big name in the film is John Lithgow in a performance that is pretty much unlike everything else I've seen him in. And he's I've seen him really play scary creepy. characters. He, I've seen him play serial killers before, and he's disturbingly good at it. Yeah, he is really creepy in this. And he basically goes rogue. There's a point where the government guy who's like set this whole thing up is basically saying, you need to back off. I didn't say anything about killing anybody. He's like, yeah, I think killing people is the only way this is going to work. Uh, don't don't worry about my check. I'm fine. Bye, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his job. He had been hired to just cause an accident so the cops would come and find the governor who was... Uh, a major presidential challenger would find him in the car with a woman who wasn't his wife. Yeah. That was it. It was supposed to be a scandal. It wasn't supposed to be murder. And this guy just decided to, to uh, kill him yeah. and everyone else, basically. <laughs> well, he actually starts randomly, well, not randomly, he starts killing women who look like Sally in her neighborhood to establish the idea that there's a serial killer going around. Yeah, and then her death won't be like looked into any too deeply, which, which is, is again very. Oops, sorry, yeah. I was gonna say, which was like just horrific, yeah. and it just really it shows you how horrible this character is. And he is utterly calm through this whole thing. And I don't even know if his motivation is like, oh, I'm doing a good thing by helping the government, or it's just like, oh, good, somebody hired me to do something, and I get to kill some more. I, but. Yeah. You know, he's supposed to be, I uh, forget, uh, which character from um, Watergate? Um, um, the, the, G. Gordon the, Liddy? Yeah, that's who it was. String him up with a piano wire. Have some Pretty rat. Uh, <laughs> he's, you just get to that point in the film where you finally meet him, because he's hinted at throughout the film, and then we meet him in this conversation in a phone booth, and it's like, oh my god! Ah! <laughs> so, hats off to John Lithgow, because I think he does a great job in this. Yeah, when he's doing the He's calling the police and confessing that he's killed one of these women to get the idea that there's a serial killer. The performance he does on the phone is like, holy crap. Wow, John Lithgow. I mean, sorry, Burke is really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and again, this was very timely. This is the early 80s. The son, People were still remembering the Son of Sam killer. Yeah, Damn. yeah. Well, of course, I, my first exposure to John Lithgow was in Buckaroo Banzai. So I'm sitting there uh, taking this performance and going, what's the matter, big booty? <laughs> you know, I was like, this is the same guy? Okay, oh, yeah. sure. No, he's got he's got incredible range. My first exposure to him was The World According to Garp, where he played a transvestite. I think a transvestite or transsexual, I can't remember. Mm. So, yeah. Um, I, again, I liked John Travolta, Nancy Allen. Apparently, Travolta had to convince... De Palma to to choose uh, Nancy Allen, even though it was his wife, and he didn't want to choose her because he was she was his wife. Yeah. I wish he'd listen to his own directorial voice because I just mm. don't, don't think she's good. Um, also, there's times when she where people are dubbed. I listen to this with headphones, and I it's like, oh yeah, it's a sound movie. There's times where the dubbing is actually terrible. There's a doctor mm. in the hospital. It's like oh, I don't even yeah. think it's the same actor. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, uh, hey, you in the hall, can you come in and dub these lines? Okay. Um, and the the plot, the story is really interesting, and it moves along nicely, although there are a couple of points, like when Sally goes over to confront Manny about the setup, and he's like, yeah, no, no, I can't tell you nothing. She goes, just level with me. It's like, ah, okay. 
Yeah. It's like, I can't tell you anything. Please? Well, all right. Damn, you worked it out of me. <laughs> like, yikes, you would, cr- you would fall apart under interrogation, Manny. And also, Sally is so clueless that I can't believe she's still alive. Yeah, she, like, she in, really is painfully naive. Yeah, and in the, the places she's working. So she's working for, for Manny, who is this really, really scummy private detective who specializes in not necessarily just catching husbands straying in across the field as it were but yeah, setting but, up the circumstances yeah. on which this would happen so it, even if the guy hadn't done it he basically constructs it so the guy will do it and that's when they catch him so and he lives in this little really crappy one-room apartment um obviously he's never picked up after himself the whole thing and- and he doesn't wash his hands after he pees. Well, and he doesn't flush either. And the yeah, door's yeah. open. So it's like, yeah. great. So, hey, you know how much you're going to love seeing uh, Dennis Franz's ass on Hill Street Blues a few years later? Uh, well, now you get to... Blue. MIPD Blue, whatever. Now you're going to see him pee. Wee. Um, and speaking of stuff like that, I would like to go out on a limb here and say that the only reason this film has an R rating is the first five minutes of the film, which have nothing to do with the rest of the film. Because we start seeing John Travolta's character, Jack, or whatever his name is, doing the sound effects for a grade Z slasher film in which there are plenty of, shall we say, nude young women being murdered in in the shower and whatever. This has nothing to do with... I was suckered in. I gotta tell you, the first minute or so, I thought, wow, I didn't think this was a Brian De Palma kind of movie. I mean... God, this is like some terrible slasher movie. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I thought, well, how could people like this film? It's so terrible. And then you realize, but literally they're just showing the murders and the naked women for the R rating. Like there's the rest of the film's really not that violent and there's no other sex in it. I don't know. The murders with the ice pick and uh, the strangle wire, that's pretty unpleasant. But you don't really see anything. It's not very gory. That's true. No, And... You know, then the killer, <laughs> the killer in the slasher film, he turns around and it's like, is that Kim Jong Il? I think it is <laughs> in a tracksuit with a with an ice pick. I okay, yeah. um, and I get what they're doing, but it really does throw you because they basically it's like, here's the start of our story. Oh, just kidding. Hope you I enjoyed. Can, the no, I kind of like that because it. I think it plays into it. It's like into the theme in some of the themes of the movie. It's you don't know what you're actually seeing or hearing. But it's one of the most gratuitous openings of a film I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty gratuitous. And I saw Showgirls, so there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so we, we get down to this area. I don't know where this is in Philadelphia. I'm assuming that's where De Palma's from. That's why he shot there. But this is really neat area where there's basically two bridges. And there's one over the other. And we have this really cool scene where we get to see... Uh, i got to check, make sure it's Jack. Is it Jack? I'm pretty sure it's Jack. Yes, Jack Taylor. Yes, it's Jack is recording sounds, which is what sound people do, or at least they did. Now they just sort of, I don't know, snap their fingers and ask Siri for something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's out there with a shotgun, Mike, and yeah. uh, a reel-to-reel tape. Play. I was yeah. like, wow, a lot of people aren't even going to know what that is. Yeah, but it's like, this is what you did. Like, all Star Wars, I wish I could remember the guy, the, the name of the guy who did the sound for that, but he had to go out and come up with the sounds for the blasters and the lightsabers because yep. that's that didn't exist now they keep now they reference his stuff um but they would go out with a microphone and a reel-to-reel deck and make find these sounds and use them for films and that's what they do and one of the cool things about this is we're doing a little bit of that behind the scenes of movie making thing but it also gets you to wonder about the movie you're watching which i thought was kind of cool 
and it's a nice, it's a kind of dark and unpleasant touch that comes back later, is that in the opening, they're having trouble because the lead actress can't scream convincingly. Yeah. In fact, as I said, it sounds like a cat being strangled. And she and, actually can't. She's, it's like, if you didn't, how bad could a scream be? Well. <laughs> <laughs> and they keep trying to like yeah, bring in other people and loop in there. And they, all the other women they're using are terrible because obviously they're paying them, I don't know, a, a cup of coffee and a nickel. Yeah. So they're not getting anybody good. And yeah, the, 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 what he ends up using is really disturbing. Yeah, we'll get to, the, to that because the ending is... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah the ending is weird. Um, so there are some very cool anachronisms in here, not least of which are the cars. And they're going, oh, yeah, I remember that. I used to drive that, and I remember that. Um, but also there's one point, and it's just like there's no attention paid to it. No one's saying anything. There's no signs. But uh, after Travolta has uh, gotten Nancy or Sally, I should say, out of the yeah. river and they've taken her to the hospital, he is waiting around and smoking. <laughs> in yeah, hospital. in the hospital. <laughs> and I still like that, you know, Nobody bats an eye when he takes her. She doesn't want to go to her apartment. He doesn't want to go to his. So they go to a motel, and he's carrying this half-conscious woman yeah. from his car to the hotel, No, into the room. Nobody says anything. No, no. Um, there's a bit in the, where we see Jack working on a movie, and he's got the TV playing, and they do this thing, or I should say De Palma does this thing, where Jack is in the background working so that we're watching TV, and it's a little heavy-handed, because what is it? It's the news, and they're talking about this presidential hopeful. And, of course, when that popped up, I wrote instantly my note. is like, oh, is this going to be a political thing? Are we? Because you know, I didn't know. And sure enough... The guy they're talking about in the news story just happens to be the guy who just goes over the the bridge on the in the car into the river. Yeah. So it's like okay, not very subtle. I mean, I I know it's hard. To, I don't even know if they needed that. Like later, if they we just suddenly found out like who was this? Like if they didn't have that news story thing, I don't know that I would have missed it. Would you? Um, no, probably not. Although I was glad to have it a little spelled out because we don't really learn much about the governor. Uh, we bar- I don't remember his name. Uh, dead Guy. I believe he was Governor <laughs> Dead Guy. I, yes, Governor Deadman. <laughs> Deadman. <laughs> yeah, they probably changed it. Um, I, exposition is, is a sore point. Uh, I know Max often finds it annoying, and I think I'm a little bit more sensitive to it than he is. But when you just basically come right out and say, we need you to pay attention now because what I'm telling you will show up in about five minutes. And it's like, okay. But I think you could have left it out. And there's a couple of other points in this film that I think you could left it, leave out, but we'll get to that. Um, I don't know, when you were watching the initial... Because um, you hadn't seen this before, right? I have never seen this, no. Well, I had never seen this so, before. I've totally seen it now. <laughs> Good. Uh, yes. What, when we see the incident where he's out just recording, everything's peaceful, it's quiet, etc. Yep. And the car goes over the bridge and he's like, oh my God, did you notice somebody in the background? Yeah, I did. I saw somebody running across, which I assume was Manny. Well, later, but it's like one of my notes was like, who's the other guy? There's so, you know, are, yeah. are we, I, was that actually the cameraman? We're not supposed to see him. It's like, they don't make any reference to it at all. And it's one of those things where if they hadn't addressed it, I'd have been pissed, but I really liked it the way it worked out because it's like, there's somebody else there. Are they going to deal and with it's that? Not, like, they don't draw attention to it. There's no. no zoom. He's just in the background. And you could, if you were looking in the wrong place, you wouldn't see him. 
No, and in fact, I don't think Jack saw him either, because the only reason no. he finds out about him later is because the guy sells the footage. Well, yeah. it turns out that this whole thing was set up because of Manny. Like, Manny yeah. was approached by the government guy, the stooge, to basically have Sally in the car, etc., etc., and he would just get photos of it. Like, oh, there's a there's a traffic accident. Look who happens to be in the car. Click, 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 click. Although he actually took movie film. Yeah. And then he does something which, quite honestly, I think probably would have meant that Manny got bumped off later, is that he sells his footage to anybody who's willing to buy it. Yeah. So, um, but I thought that was cool that there was this, like, we as witnesses saw something too, and it's not even addressed, and you sit there and wonder and wonder. And if they, again, if they hadn't addressed that, if De Palma had just left that detail go, I'd have been pissed. But my note was like, "Who's that other guy?" So, no, that's uh, a nice touch. Yeah. Then we get. To I also. Oh, go ahead, please. I was just thinking in terms of the times. I was like, man, I guess in '81 they didn't have safety glass in the car windows because when the car is at the bottom of the river, Travolta breaks the window with a rock. Which underwater is difficult enough, but uh, uh, nowadays you couldn't do it. Well, the safety glass, so safety glass, all it does is it causes it to break into tiny little not sharp pieces, which it, to, to be fair, does. Um, I'm glad it wasn't candy glass, although quite oh, honestly, okay. I think candy glass would have dissolved. <laughs> yeah, it just would have melted. I don't know. So usually, like, I have a tool in my car in case I ever flip over upside down in the water because this is how my mother believed things would happen and... She might be right. I don't know. But what it is, is it's like a hammer, except it comes to a point. And the idea yeah. is that the force at that small an area, because it's all concentrated, would actually break the glass. Um, but as we all know from having watched Mythbusters, the thing to do is to be as calm as possible, hold it to the very last, take your last breath from the roof of the car where the air goes at. And once all of the water has filled up the car, you can then easily open the door and go to the surface. Yeah. But who of us is going to be that... Um, clear-headed <laughs> at the bottom of, of a river. Not me. Um, so then uh, they print a bunch of still frames of the film in a magazine, and Jack goes and gets them and <laughs> cuts them out. Make, and Makes it into a flip book. Well, here's the problem. He then films it. Yeah. Now, we're supposed to be looking at behind-the-scenes of filmmakers, and the sound part looked pretty convincing to me. The problem was is that I was in film school in the 80s, he takes a bunch of squares with no registration at all and manages to line them up perfectly and make yeah. a little animation. So that, that kind of bugged me. But, you know, the, the editing and stuff, that's stuff that I did in my brief stint in film school. Um, and it was that complicated and that annoying. Um, so, yeah. Once again, very a very different time when you watch, you know, the tape with the film and uh, audio tape with sprocket marks on them. Yeah, that was uh, magstock. That that was uh, sixteen. In his case, sixteen millimeter magstock. I had to work with that stuff. And basically, you take your soundtrack and you dub it onto what looks like film, but it's actually in the shape of uh, sixteen millimeter film. And then you have to line everything up. He had a movieola. I had a flatbed editor. But oh my god, is that a pain in the neck? That whole thing where he's rubbing back and forth to find the exact frame for the sound. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they used to have to do animation for the voices. You had to know which frame they said the letters on. So some poor schmuck had to sit there with every line of dialogue for every Bugs oh, Bunny cartoon boy. and figure out where that stuff was. Um, and that's, you know, Jack that's just, is clearly very good at what he does. He yeah. also has kind of a tragic backstory, we find out. of. He, he was in the, I think he was in Vietnam, he said. He, he was also, in the army, and but, he worked for the police. Yeah. Tell, tell uh, us about how, what he did in the, with the police. 
Yeah, he worked on something called the Crown Commission, which may or I don't remember if that was a real thing or not, which was basically in New Jersey tracking down uh, corrupt cops. And he had a guy wired for sound, and they didn't compensate for the guy getting nervous and sweating. It shorted the battery out, and that blew his cover, and they killed him. Yeah. Clearly, he feels bad about that. And I thought that was a really interesting parallel, because at the end of the film, we have to do the same thing again with Sally. Yeah, he's got to wire her for sound as he goes to John Lithgow. I got to say, by the way, John Lithgow, I know we talk about, yes, he's this, you know, super efficient, cold-blooded killer. Some of the ways he kills people are kind of stupid. Okay, such as? I mean, well, let's see. Tackling this woman and ha- rolling down the side of a uh, a construction site with her and then stabbing her with an ice pick. In the shape of a Liberty Bell. <laughs> yeah, like a Liberty Bell. And then, first of all, he has that same kind of Robert Shaw, James Bond, strangle wire watch. Yeah. And he kills another woman by reaching over the stall of a bathroom and hoisting her up on the wire. That is such a risky way to do it. If she had glanced in his direction and taken a step, he couldn't have reached her. I really liked that scene, though. I thought it was really creepy, the fact that she almost catches him. Um, I, I thought it was actually really effective. Um, the the Liberty Bell pattern stabbing thing, I was like, wait, what? Uh, just reminded me of an episode of the old uh, Dick Van Dyke show, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, he had he had apparently freckles in the shape of the Liberty Bell. Oh, oh, oh. But... Uh, yeah, the, 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 it seemed he was a little sloppy at the construction site. Uh, later on, he goes after a woman at a at, at the, the bus station um, where she was originally seeing a. Um, or this is actually the, the the same woman in the stalls. So she was originally yeah. seeing this nice young sailor. Although that whole scene felt really cartoony to me. It was but, also very gratuitous. She's ba- she's very clearly a hooker. Yeah, and uh, basically goes and gives the guy a good time in a phone booth, and they're haggling over the price, as George Bernard Shaw says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so let's get this right out of the way. There are no women characters in this film that aren't treated pretty badly. Yeah, um, pretty much. Pretty I don't much know. I don't know enough about Mr. De Palma's films to know if this is a theme. Not sure. He does. I mean, the Untouchables. There just aren't a lot of female characters. Yeah. And you know what's really surprising to me? That in Philadelphia, there's no black people. Did you know that? No, it, no, <laughs> no. The doc, there was one black doctor. Yeah, the one who was I badly dubbed he, and you only saw him from behind. But sure. Yeah, he was He was Philadelphia's black person. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's an, official t- it's an official post. Yeah. Uh, you, know, no. this is, you know, we can sit there and wave our hands and go, it's the early 80s, that's what happened. But we it can was also even make, on the street. They didn't even hire no. any black extras. Or in the parade, which yeah. they had to reshoot. Okay. Um, so, you know, we can quote unquote make that excuse, but I think it's more a case of, again, we'd like to point this out. There's no Asian people. There's no, um, uh, Hispanic it's a very people. white movie. Yeah. It's a very white movie. Uh, obviously the lesson to learn here is don't do that. Have a <laughs> nice, uh, varied cast. This is a weird shout out, but, uh, there's a, a show on Apple TV plus called, uh, foundation, which has got to be the most varied cast. I think of any TV show ever. Um, it's literally a point where it's like, I think there's a white person in it. 
<laughs> and that's that's cool. It's actually really nice. I like bringing, if you can, bringing different cultures into. doesn't necessarily have to be a point, main point of the film, but hey, I'm willing to bet there's more than just white people in Philadelphia, no matter what decade it is. So well, that's just crazy talk. Yeah. Yes, I, I I've been there. There, there were there were plenty of not white people. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's uh, if we can't talk about the soundtrack. That was so odd because for long stretches there isn't one. There's no music, and then suddenly the music grabs you by the collar and punches you in the face. And it's sometimes inappropriate. There's yeah. a scene where this cop gets killed, and he's. The music is sort of like lilting and like, oh, I don't feel entirely fresh, Mom. What do you do? Uh, (laughs) And honestly, I think the music is just terrible. The soundtrack is very, when it's there, it doesn't fit. No. It's kind of jarring. And and the thing is, I think De Palma is known for for good use of music. But I, I don't think it worked in this. Well, we watched what the other film we watched of his his was it that uh, Mission Impossible? Yeah, which the, bears almost no resemblance to this film at all. Though to be fair, it was a lot later, it's twenty years later. Yeah, um, yeah. I just was I made a note of it. It's like usually music either it's really rousing and exciting, like Indiana Jones, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or you don't even notice it and it's not even there. This was just sort of and it wasn't like Albert Glasser who pummels you. With music. <laughs> it just was bad. And I'm yeah. amazed that he liked it so much. So yeah, that, is, that was very strange. Yeah. Um, there was one shot in the film that really messed with me, and I honestly think was a Ooh. bad directorial choice. Which one? So at one point he's made, I should say Jack has made this film out of the flip book, more or less. It, and his version of the Zapruder film, basically. Yes, basically, which of course is what echoes the, the JFK assassination. And he goes to hide it because wisely he thinks, you know, somebody might be out to get it. Well, the problem is we see him hiding it from outside his apartment uh, looking yeah. up through the window. What are we meant to think by that? Yeah, we think somebody is watching him and so, therefore will know the hiding place, even though apparently they don't. No. They because, do break into his, his uh, studio and erase somehow every one of his tapes. I guess they walked through with a really big magnet. Well, so there was a scene where we see Burke going through his trunk and we see a box that said tape eraser. But uh, was it a gun? I mean, because <laughs> yep. that, that's a lot of tapes. The best you could hope for is there. We had one of these in high school. It's this big magnet shaped thing, but only the ends are actually the real magnets. And they are so strong that if you try to pass a piece of steel between them, you do not have the strength to make it keep going. It will be knocked next to, and I think it actually was a bulk eraser. He would still have had to take every box of tape in this vast library of sounds and pass it through this thing while somebody outside the secretary was like, uh, no, he's not there, but you can wait as long as you want. Now, you see, I figure he brought a very small nuclear device in and used the <laughs> electromagnetic pulse from it, and just no one noticed. A pinch. Yeah, a oh, pinch. that's <laughs> right, a pinch. It's you know, nice to be working body. with proper scoundrels again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that part was weird, because... And it's the really sad part, of course, is that's those are sounds he's been collecting for probably decades, and now they're yeah. all gone. But, you know, somehow he managed to erase all of, of Jack's tapes. Okay, fine, whatever. Sure. But that shot yeah. makes us, because we see Burke 
watching other people. So yeah, we know make... that he's got uh, Jack under surveillance. We know he's tapped his phone. But so, uh, yeah, I don't know what that shot was for, unless it was just a uh, it was a red herring. Yeah, the shot I did like is that weird rotating shot in Jack's uh, uh, studio. He runs out to get something, and he comes. And while he's there, the camera just circles, mm. and you see all the tapes hanging. And it's oddly unnerving. Yeah, there's also a scene where Manny and Sally are talking, and that's again Dennis Franz and Nancy Allen, and. The background behind Manny is very, very red. And the background behind Sally is very, very green. So there's a very neat interplay of color there. And he only uses it right there, but it was a really neat way of sort of... Uh, I hadn't thought of that, but that's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, The overhead shots, in general, I didn't mind those. Those were actually pretty cool. But some of the the movie felt kind of clumsy to me. I was kind of surprised. Like, this has become a real cult film. Like, a lot of people, including Tarantino, really like this film, and they think it may be De Palma's, at least in his early work, one of De Palma's best. Huh. Um, Yeah. Um, That that weird Christ imagery, I don't get that with Manny in the Bed. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then there's the ending. So where are you starting the ending? Because this is important. I'm starting the ending... With when Burke takes Sally and starts taking her away on the subway. Okay. I thought that part was pretty cool and creepy. Again, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. She she really was awfully trusting of this guy. I mean, we do get it set up that she doesn't watch the news, so she doesn't know he's not the reporter who's on TV all the time. Which is fine. Yeah, which is okay. Because maybe she watches Channel 5 and he's on Channel 7. Whatever. And then suddenly Jack is chasing her above ground, through the parade. That was a little, again, jarring in that this hasn't been like a chase action movie up until these last 15 minutes. Yeah. But it kind of works. It heightens the tension. I'll uh, disagree. No? You you didn't like it? No. Um, Yeah, Okay. So here's the problem. There's two big problems. One, there's no way that all of those cops and and uh, firemen yeah. that we see Jack go through wouldn't have just stopped him. Like, there, nobody tries to do anything. They just get out of his way. And he's yeah. literally driving through a parade. Um, not really 1976, but uh, liberty. Yes, and when they pull him out of the car and he's in the ambulance, he's not handcuffed to the gurney. No, there's nobody watching. Which he him. would have been because this it's like this guy's a lunatic. You may have who knows how many people he injured driving backwards through this through this parade the wrong way. Yeah. We'll just toss him in this ambulance and not pay terribly close attention. Also, this is weird. When he's driving through the parade, uh, yeah. parades mostly do this. It's right in the middle of the day. And, and then, then when he wakes, he wakes up, up <laughs> he's it's at night and they Sally and Burke have gone what, four subway stops? If I honestly, I would have cut out the whole parade scene. We could yeah, easily have gone from the subway car. He knows which one she's on. He knows that she's on the Franklin Express. What does that mean? It's going to Franklin. Okay, cool. He goes and takes it the next train, or he goes up and takes his car and drives to Franklin Square, whatever, and then continues listening to her over the wire. The listening to her over the wire was pretty cool because, again... She doesn't think to say, oh, gosh, it sure is busy here on Carlton Street. Yeah. Um, and it, there is a kind of a cool will he find her, won't he find her sort of thing with the wire. And that's cool. The whole added driving through people basically also tainting the character of Jack for no particularly good reason. I I would have just cut it out like you reshot yeah. it. 
you should have let the Dunkin' Donuts thieves have it. <laughs> Yeah, all right, that's reasonable. I, I thought it I thought it worked, but uh, yeah, I can see that. So uh, and that what surprises me is the 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 ending, you know, for the not quite ending, but the uh, climax of the action sequence where Burke has taken Sally and she gets away and he catches her and she, he's going to strangle her and stab her to death, and Jack shows up and he kills Burke, and he's too late. Sally's already dead. That really that surprised me. I was surprised by that too, but what really surprised me was that somehow Burke, this really creepy, able, sneaky, weird guy who's holding an ice pick can have John Travolta come from behind and allow himself to be stabbed with his own arm and his own two, ice pick. I thought about that, but two things. One, he wouldn't have heard it because there were fireworks going on, which is why no. he chose... I have no problem with him sneaking up behind Lithgow. It's if you're on top of somebody, you can just make them stab themselves a number of times. Burke didn't even fight. <laughs> yeah, and Burke is a lot bigger than yeah. and John Lithgow is huge, by the way. He's like six four, six five. He's much bigger than Jack, and he's probably trained. The only thing I figure is he actually was he enjoyed it. I mean, we hear later the sounds when Jack keeps listening. Because Jack managed to record the sounds of the murder. Yeah. And as we see in the end, he keeps listening to them over and over again. And then... And and Burke is making some pretty weird noises, kind of like he's really kind of getting off on it. I just so didn't I think buy, he was distracted. I Not only did I not buy Travolta being able to stab him without any resistance multiple times... The official report comes back that, oh, good, the serial killer has died when he was trying to get his last yeah. victim, and she managed to kill him. Yeah, that was an interesting... <laughs> obviously, this was a question of, yeah, let's not bother investigating. I guess. But then, the real end of the film... Yeah. So that recording that Jack made of his, I guess, girlfriend, yeah. Sally, dying and screaming... He uses that recording for that horrible slasher film that they can't yeah. find. Yeah. And I was like, he uses her scream. Yeah. And what what was your take on that? that was, well, I was like, wow, either we really misjudge Jack or he really is a jerk. I just have there, Jack, you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. I I couldn't tell if he was doing that to continuously punish himself. But it was such sure. a, a way to cheapen somebody's life that I was just like, what What are you trying to say with this? I'm not even sure. All I figure is what happened, he obviously left and didn't tell anybody and just left the two of them there and the police made the assumptions and probably didn't investigate too much, especially when they figured out, because you know, there, there's a whole thing of the police were covering it up, covering right. up the possible crime. And Sally was a loose end. They would have been probably been happy that they could just go, oh, yeah, she was just killed at random, and she killed her attacker, and now everything's done. Yeah. And I, I think it was maybe his little way of trying to keep her alive or keep that, you know, making so she wasn't just gone, erased. There was yeah, maybe, I don't know, it was such a bizarre thing to do. I couldn't really come up with a good explanation for it. It was a head-scratcher. Um, there's also uh, at the end when they're when Burke and Sally were on the rooftop during the uh, the fireworks uh, display, there was an unfortunate reference I couldn't help but make. I don't know if you made it too. 
Oh, you love were thinking love, American love, yeah. style. God, yeah, yeah. Love, love, love. That was not his fault. That's just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and if you don't know what love American style is, good. Yeah. Uh, another one of those things that we like to warn you about. Uh, we have our talking points I'd like to get to. We do. Mind. So, was this film a standout for the year of 1981? It, well, I mean, apart from you said Siskel and Ebert liked it, I I remember hearing about it, and I remember seeing the preview in the movie theaters, and that's it. I don't think I knew anyone who saw it. Well, it was a very interesting mix, because the reason I even knew about this film is because I remembered seeing the sneak previews episode with Siskel and Ebert and them saying how much they liked it, and I think there was also one of their best of, or like, you know, directors where you really like or something episodes where they specifically referenced the scene where Jack is listening over and over to the blowout and realizes there's a gunshot there. And the cool thing, too, is that he does it in a way that allows the audience to finally hear it for themselves, too. It's not uh -huh. just saying, see? Um, <laughs> And apparently this film was very critically well-received. Huh, okay. But people decided, really? yeah, what do critics know, and didn't go. So, mm. yeah, it was sort of a stand-up by not being the stand-up people thought it was going to be. Interesting. Yeah. Did this film significantly affect films that came after it? Oh, I think that's pretty clear. Oh, yeah. I mean, never mind just Tarantino, but a lot of the style of the, the gritty, nasty... Uh, a lot of the camera angles, I think a lot of the cinematography did. I mean, De Palma, say what you will, he does influence a lot of people. Mm. I, I felt more he was actually reflecting techniques I'd seen in the 70s, oh, specifically okay. the French Connection. That mm. is a very grainy, gritty film. And, of course, you know one of your favorites, uh, The Godfather, also very grainy, gritty. I feel like he was just another player in that playground. Um, and I didn't, I don't, obviously he did. You pointed out Tarantino. I can't say that he didn't affect films. I just don't know that I've felt that influence. So okay. I'll give yeah. you the point and just go, eh, if you say so. <laughs> Does this movie reflect 1981? I think so. The, you know, again, I said the echoes of uh, Son of Sam and you pointed out Watergate, Chappaquiddick. The whole idea of the political conspiracy, which admittedly had been building through this to the 60s, and this was a post-Watergate era. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that. Also, the idea of the dirty cops mm -hmm. from you know other movies like Serpico and also you know, the, the various investigative panels that were starting up in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, yeah I think this is a very eight, early 80s movie. I think it's also that Philadelphia isn't prettied up at all yeah. it's a lot like new york city was during the 80s new york city if people don't know during the 80s i forget did it go bankrupt twice or just once uh i think once i think it defaulted which yeah. is somehow different like if you can imagine manhattan parts of manhattan yeah manhattan looking like a war zone there are times in the 70s and 80s when that's how bad it looked in manhattan yeah. Um, and Philly, I don't know as much about Philly, but... They were showing parts, they were showing some particularly bad parts. Philly had some perfectly nice parts in the sure. 80s. I was there. So did Manhattan. Per, yeah. But, but yeah, the, there, Philly has some, some dangerous places. It has some sleazy places. That is absolutely true. Yeah, I think it reflected, I don't think it was trying to reflect the politics of its time, but I think yeah. it reflected its time very well. Um, that's what I've got for our little questions and yeah. my notes. What about you, dude? Do we miss any of your notes? 
Uh, no, I think, uh, I think we covered everything. Cool. Well, then we should get to the, the line <laughs> roundup. Up. The roundup. So, Max. Yeah. You did not see this when it came out. You, you I are... did not. I had uh, the. I saw this yesterday. Yeah. That was the I first saw, time. Was that the day before? Uh, well, what's your overall opinion? I think it's interesting. I can't say I enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, it's again one of those movies which, while you can somewhat empathize with the characters, you don't really like them. Jack really is kind of a jerk. I don't like the way he treats Sally. Most people treat Sally pretty badly. Yeah. Uh. The, the way it ends with it's like oh wow you are an amoral little crap aren't you either that or you're so badly broken but we don't know yeah uh again i thought some of it was interesting to watch i was engaged it moved along nicely yeah i did, didn't feel long but uh eh. what about you well this is one of again one of those films that i'd heard about and thought you know i chose it because it was not the usual film, you know, not Indy Jones. I would not have, if you put, put these together and said, did these come out anywhere near each other? I would have said, nah, this is probably late seventies, like, you know, 76, 77. It's like, no, it's the same year as Indiana Jones or, or other films we're going to watch in this series. And it's like, huh? Hmm. I'm glad I saw it because it's lauded as one of those films. Mm -hmm. I think it's very uneven. Um, I totally would cut out that parade scene. It does not add anything, and it sort of makes it a different mm. movie. Um, there's some really good scenes of tension in here that I think work real. John Lithgow's, unfortunately, John, terrific. John uh, Lithgow's performance, I think, is the best thing in the movie. Yeah, I would agree. Travolta is good. I think he does he, a, a very good job, and he doesn't just do his usual, you know, do, you know sweat hog performance. Yeah, or Danny Terrio, or whatever his character, not Danny Terrio, what his character, what's his name? <laughs> Adrian wasn't, Zemed, one of those. <laughs> Adrian Zemed, yeah, right. Um, yeah, I, I, I liked him. I thought he was doing very well. There's a couple of character choices, like that very end thing where he uses the scream in the movie, and like, I don't, I don't, I can't figure out what the point of that was. And it could have been something interesting, but that's when the film ends, so it's too late. Um, I, I like the idea of the whole seeing part of filmmaking we never think about the sound yeah that is interesting watching the whole sound editing and and what they had to go through especially back then yeah you know without digital technology yeah and i think too i wish the film had been more about that like they had he had focused a little bit more on the fact that what you're seeing is really not what you're seeing at all and, of course, that's the whole point of the blowout, is that it's supposed to be a blowout. Well, it wasn't a blowout. Well, this guy drove off the... Oh, well, it turns out that it wasn't his wife in there. Oh, and as it turns out, that whole thing was staged. Like, the whole thing, in a way, is kind of a commentary on the fact that when you're watching a movie, everything is fake. And they don't... I don't think they do, don't do quite enough with that. And I would like to have seen more of the whole sound thing. I thought that was interesting. Um, and I just came from having been to the... Uh, the Museum of Gosh, Aren't We Amazing? I'm sorry, the Academy Awards <laughs> Museum. And they have a whole thing about sound, and they show a scene from Indiana Jones um, where they have the original sound that they recorded on set, and it's terrible. <laughs> and they go through all the steps it takes to get to what we think is the sound of the scene. And the sound of the scene is almost nothing of what was filmed. Um, so again, there's, yeah. some, there's yeah. some cool parallels here. They just don't, I don't think he really does them very well. So I would say, 
I don't see the cult film thing. I don't see this as being that amazing film. I don't see Tarantino being in love with the film. Um, but I'm still glad I watched it because I think it was. Yeah, I think it was interesting. And if you're a fan of De Palma and you want to see some of the influence of his earlier works, it's worth it'd be worth it to check that out. As a piece of film history, sure, I, I would see it. But yeah. uh, it, it's not a, it's not fun. No, it is not fun. But we have uh, the poll question to go over again, and yes, the we ways do. you can answer us. The poll question uh, this week is. What movie do you like exactly as it is? You wouldn't change a frame. Nothing. There's no plot threads. There's no dialogue. There's no cringy moments. Nothing. You think, and I'm saying that you think it's a perfect film necessarily, but for you, don't touch this. Put it in amber. Uh, case it in carbonite. Carbonite? That's right, Spot <laughs> Um, Let us know, and you can let us know by email, and it'll get extra bumpy bills if you do. Just saying. Us at MaxMikeMovies.com, which, of course, gives you the idea that we have a website, which we do, which is MaxMikeMovies.com. And, hey, there's social media, because people do social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter as MaxMikeMovies. Um, and lastly, if you're listening to this, you probably are already listening to it from one of your favorite podcast apps, uh, whether it be anything like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple. Um, but, um, you already know that part and heck we're probably places we don't even know. We're still stuck in 1981 and to get us out of 1981, we will claw our way through what film next week, Max? Well, we're going to... Look at the 1981 brutal condemnation of the modern army, vicious dark pictures along the ways of full metal jacket and platoon. Bill Murray's Stripes. Ah. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. I'm pretty sure it's a dark grim war movie. Social commentary, huh? Yep. It's not at all about a flunky joking his way through basic training and no, then driving a uh, a suburban assault vehicle into <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> nope, that's, nope, I'm pretty sure it's not. Well, I guess the only thing I can say to that is that's the facts. Jack. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and the movie wrench.